You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Good morning, and thank you for joining us here for Reality Honolulu's Digital House Church. My name is Riz. I'm the pastor here. If this is your first time, or if you're new and we've never met in person, um, thank you for joining us. I hope that I can meet you in person very soon. And for those of you that I know and I just haven't seen, uh, I miss you. I really do and cannot wait till we can get back into gathering in person once again. That said, we have made some important announcements the last few weeks, uh, which you can find on our website's front page or on the social media from the last few weeks, but it's concerning regathering. And the announcement was that prayerfully and hopefully, um, we heard some good news that we can get back into Oliolani on the horizon, hopefully soon here, uh, to gather safely in person. We'll, we will obviously be giving a lot more updates to the, the when and the how and what you need to know. But So please kind of make sure you're following kind of all our social media and checking the website and, and subscribe to our email newsletter, all that stuff so that you know and are aware of what's going on. But hopefully we'll all be back together safely soon at our home on Leolani. Uh, but if you've been with us this house church season, you know that we have been guided and directed and ministered to by God's word, specifically the book of Acts that we've been going through week in and week out. But this month of October, we're taking a break from the book of Acts and we're doing a mini series on the faithfulness of God. And the reason why we're doing that is not only because we turned three years old and we recalled God's faithfulness to us as a church, but after praying and just seeking the Lord on this time that we live in, in light of everything going on, I really felt for our church, what we needed to be reminded of is the faithfulness of God. That despite what happens, what has, is happening, and what will happen, whatever the world has, whatever the news story is today, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that God is in control that he's on the throne, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And my hope and my prayer for you is that the last few weeks and the coming weeks, as we study and re are reminded of God's faithfulness, it will be a boost to you. It will, it, will, it will encourage you, it will exhort you, that your eyes will be fixed upon Jesus, that you'd be reminded that King Jesus, that our God, He's seated on the throne. That whatever happens, come November, whatever happens in our country, in our nation, whatever happens with COVID and lockdowns and just navigating all social issues, racial injustice, as we navigate these things, as we live through this time in life, that we would be grounded upon who God is in his character that he is faithful to carry us through it, to be with us, that he'll never leave us or forsake us. 
Last week, we had uh, a dear brother and friend, Pastor Dave Lovis from Reality San Francisco, kind of continue us in this series. And today, we have a dear friend of mine, a dear brother that I believe God wants to use in our church. He's been a friend of mine, a fellow pastor for about 15 years now. His name is Chris Lazo. He pastors a church in Santa Barbara, California, my hometown. Um, and uh, he has a word for us. And it's about God's faithfulness in the midst of what's going on, in the midst of the mess that we're in right now. And so church, I love this man dearly. I believe that God wants to speak through him to you this morning in this mini-series on faithfulness. So grab your coffee and sit down and give your attention to my dear friend and brother, Chris Lazo. Hey, what's up, Reality Honolulu? This is Pastor Chris Lazo coming from Reality Santa Barbara, and I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and am so excited and honored to be able to uh, speak a word from the scriptures uh, into your fellowship today. I would much rather be there in person. I've longed to be there for a long time. Uh, I know things are a little different now, and we're, we're streaming this uh, from a distance, and I'm, I'm so happy to be able to do that, but I would love to see you. Uh, Riz, Pastor Riz and I have been talking about this for a long time. Maybe it will come up someday where I'll be able to speak in person and just fellowship with you all, but I've just got to share. I just got to say, uh, I have been loving, of all the noise on Instagram right now, I've been loving seeing some of the posts by people in your church, uh, by your own uh, a church Instagram account, and it looks like a combination of God's Word, fellowship, and food. It looks, like, it looks like God's Word, fellowship, and food, and I can't tell you how happy I am, and this is, this is the reason why is I'm, I'm a Filipino. I grew up uh, with some of the best food on earth uh, from my aunties and uncles, uh, from my grandma. And then I moved away and I live now in Santa Barbara and Santa Barbara is awesome. Santa Barbara has a lot of food, but let me tell you, it's mostly pasta and overpriced sandwiches. And so there's just this deep longing in my heart, like for what things used to be. And so imagine my excitement when for the first time, I think this is a, a few years ago, I go onto Reality Honolulu's, uh, Honolulu's account and I see a worship gathering and it's just tables lined up in the middle of the room. No chairs, no nothing. Just tables lined up with food and I zoom in and I'm like, is that lumpia? Is that chicken adobo and, and pancit and dinikwa? Like, and I was just flipping out. I was like, what is this church? What are they doing? I need to somehow break through the walls of just the, the shutdown to be there. But anyway, can't be there. But I can, I can smell the food, and it's reminding me of my family. Uh, I can't see your faces. I know you can see mine, but I... I long for the day when we can join together and celebrate all that God is doing around the table. But for now, I bring to you a word from Genesis chapter 15. As, as your pastor, Pastor Riz, uh, introduced uh, last week about the faithfulness of God after three years of being a, a church and how he is faithful. And I want to continue in that uh, by looking at the faithfulness of God through biblical stories uh, and through our own. And so if you will, turn to Genesis chapter 15. 
we're gonna read through, we're gonna look at that whole chapter, but I'm just gonna read through those sections as we go through the sermon. We'll start with those first three verses. While you're turning there, I wanna share with you a story of my own that kind of came to mind as I was preparing this text, as I was thinking about uh, your church, uh, about the theme of God's faithfulness, about his faithfulness in my life, about his faithfulness as we'll see to Abram in Genesis chapter 15. And honestly, it made me think of a single story from about a decade ago. And it was when Brianna, my wife, and I were celebrating our wedding anniversary, and we wanted to to do it, we wanted to go to the East Coast. And so we went all the way to the other side of the country. We went to New York uh, and specifically to Brooklyn. We went to Brooklyn. We started running around. But while we were there, we remembered that a book that was so formative in the life of our church, in the life of uh, Reality Carpinteria, where all of this started, it all started with a book on prayer. Some of you may know this book, but it's called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, written by the pastor Jim Simbola. And it's all about how just like five, six, seven, eight people got together in a worn out basement and began to pray for a move of God. And uh, if you follow that story or you read that book or you've been around for a few years, you know God did a wonderful work there through the power of prayer. And so we're in Brooklyn and I'm like, Brianna, we got to go to the Brooklyn Tabernacle, the church. Uh, Jim Simbola, we got to go there. And she's like, yeah, let's do it. And so we go on a Sunday. We roll up. We go to church. And we're sitting on the mezzanine floor. It's no longer a basement of eight people. There's, there's you know, there's about uh, 3,000 people in the room, a choir on the stage. It's awesome. We begin worshiping. And it's just so awesome. We are just with thousands of believers in a strange land, worshiping God, and there's just all of this, um, these memories uh, of prayer and the stories that were told from this church that was so formative. And then something happens. Jim Simbolo, the senior pastor, gets up, he has everyone sit down, he does some announcements, and then he says, hey, it's New Year's, how many of you are visiting from out of town on New Year's? Can you please stand up? Well, about 100 people stand up, including Brianna and I. We're, we're visiting on New Year's. And then everyone's applauding. They're like, yeah, welcome. Ah. And then he says, okay, remain standing if you're new, you're a visitor, and you've sung in a choir before. And so everybody sits down except for 40 people. I sit down, never sung in a choir before. And then he's, he pauses for a second and he says, how would you like to sing with the Brooklyn Tabernacle? Silence. Everybody thinks he's joking. And then he says again, he's like, no, I'm serious. All of you, all four of you, come on down. And everybody starts a mad rush for the stage. They're running to the stage. They're like crying. They're like, I can't believe this, this is amazing. And I'm sitting down and I'm like, oh, this is so great. This is so fun. I wish I could do this. It's a Brooklyn Tabernacle, Grammy Award-winning Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. I've read about them. I've heard them. I wish I could do this, but I've never sung in a choir before, so uh, I'm exempt from this. And then I, I sit there, and I start getting this sense of FOMO. And I look over at my wife, Bree, and she basically winks at me, and I, I, I'm like, this is the only chance I'm ever going to get. And so without thinking, I jump over the banister, the mezzanine floor, I make my way down the stage, and I walk up the steps to the stage. I'm about to sing with this incredible choir. 
Now, I've never sung in a choir before, but I'm thinking in my head, how hard can it be? I've sung on worship teams before. This will be a piece of cake. I walk up the stairs, and the first red flag that I get is a young man next to me who's also singing in the choir as we're, we're finding our places, looks at me, and he says, uh, hey, so uh, what are you? And I look at him, and I'm like, I'm, I, I, what do you mean? I, what am I? I'm a, I'm a man. I'm a human man. And he looks at me and he says, no, like, are you an alto? Are you a soprano? Are you something else? And I'm like, I don't know the language that you're saying. I don't, this is a foreign language. Uh, whatever, I, I sing, right? I sing, I sing with Zoe Hilner at Easter's. Like, I know, I, I can sing, so here I am in the choir. And he just rolls his eyes and he says, go over there. And so I go over and I sit, uh, I stand between two really tall men and the music starts rolling. And the first song is familiar. It's a, it's a song, Here I Am to Worship. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I know this song. Okay, this is off to a great start. I begin singing and I get more comfortable and things are bumping. And as I sing, I start to get a little more confident. I'm pumping my chest out. I'm singing a little louder than when I started so the guys next to me can hear, hear my voice and stuff. And, like, uh, and we're going through this song and... I don't know at what point in the song that I realize this, but I, I start to look around and I notice the whole choir is moving. The whole choir is moving, you know, like choirs do. They move like this. They're clapping their hands. They're doing the syncopated uh, rhythm in their steps. But it's not just the choir. The congregation is doing the same thing, all syncopated. Thousands of people in this building are stepping and clapping and swaying in perfect rhythm to the song. All 3,000 people, except for one guy, this guy. I had been standing there still on this choir, in the middle of the choir for many minutes. And I realized that. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm supposed to move. I didn't know that. I've never sung in a choir before. So I start moving. And I'm like trying to move. And I'm like, okay, I got it. 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 And then I realized that as, as soon as I start moving my feet, my mouth closes and I have this epiphany. I can't move my feet and sing at the same time. And I'm discovering all of this on the floor of the Grammy Award-winning Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. I'm getting really embarrassed. And so now I'm really focusing. I'm straining. I'm like, okay, move this way. Step, step. Okay, sing. I know that word. I'm doing it. I finally get it down. And I look up just to see if I'm, I'm, I'm gauging myself right. And I realize I'm moving in the opposite direction as the whole choir. I look like a broken pair of windshield wipers. And after two songs of this, I, I walked up the stage excited I walked up just, just thrilled with my chest pumped out, my, my shoulders back, and I left embarrassed and dejected. This was not the way I expected my dream uh, premiere at this choir to turn out. It was messy. And I share that story because it's simply an illustration and a vignette of so much of our lives. Life is messy. Life doesn't turn out the way that we expected, right? Life doesn't turn out uh, in the way that we were hoping. Our five-year plan doesn't materialize. We're disappointed. We're disillusioned. Life is messy. And we see this 
is just a pattern in human history. In Genesis chapter 15, in our first three verses, uh, something's going to happen. But to, to get a little of the background, the context, Abram, this dude Abram, has no kids. And God had made a promise to him in Genesis chapter 12. I'm, gonna, I'm not only going to give you a kid. I'm, you're going to be the father of many nations. And year after year, that promise never materializes. Have you ever felt that way? Like, God, I thought you were going to do this, but it's not materializing. I'm disappointed. Life is unexpected. It's messy. In fact, Abram says this to him in verse 1 through 3. Listen, uh, here's our text. He says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. You know, it's my, my auto mechanic. That's the, the closest person to, uh, to my family. I don't have any heirs. Verse 3, and Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will take over everything. He's, he's bummed. How many of you feel this way too? Maybe it's with kids, but maybe it's with something else. Maybe it's... Uh, maybe it's this whole pandemic. Maybe it's the shutdown of an entire island. Maybe it's the way church is, uh, a church that's driven by food and face contact and eye contact and fellowship and all the good things in life. All of a sudden, you're socially ostracized. Maybe your career has taken a hit. Maybe things have not turned out the way that you hoped And you're looking back, remembering God promised some things to you. But what you're seeing is not a promise being materialized. What you're seeing is the unexpected, the disappointing, and the messy. Life is messy. My first point is that life is messy. My second is that it's often, the mess is often where our faith is most formed. Life is messy, but that's often the seedbed where our faith begins to mature. Look at verse 4 through 7 in Genesis chapter 15. It says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, to Abram, saying, This man shall not be your heir. Auto mechanic uh, Eleazar of Damascus, or whatever it is his job is, that's not going to be your heir. I made a promise. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then he brings him outside and says, look towards the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he says to Abram, so shall your offspring be. It's almost like God is saying to Abram, I know life is disappointing right now, but I'm about to blow your mind. You just can't see it yet. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. I blessed you in chapter 12. I am going to be faithful to my blessing. Now, what I want you to see in this is that second point. The mess is often where faith is formed. And faith is merely an act of trust, right? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that we do not see. It is that thing. It's not blind faith. It's not believing things that are delusional just for faith's sake. It's actually hanging on to something because you have reason to believe it even though you don't see the outcome right in front of you. Faith conveys trust, now, how, how is faith matured and formed in the messes in our life? Well, I want to give you two reasons. 
One is that faith, first of all, comes by hearing. It comes from hearing God's word. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says that faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of the Lord. That's where it first materializes. And this is exactly what we see in the life of Abram. He's experiencing a mess. Things aren't materializing like he was hoping. Things do, are not going the way that he's expecting. Life is messy. And it's precisely in the mess that he gets a word from the Lord. Verse four, behold, the word of the Lord came to him and God delivers to him that promise. He reminds him, I'm gonna do this. That's where faith starts. It starts in our hearts from a word of the Lord. Faith comes from hearing. But here's the second part, and this is what I want you to hang on to, is that while faith comes by hearing, faith is kept by doing. You hearing this? Faith is, uh, faith comes from hearing God's word, but faith is kept by doing God's word. In fact, in later books of the New Testament, all these books, Galatians, Romans, Hebrews, that are remembering the faith of Abraham, they're remembering him for how he acted according to his faith. James chapter two, verse 17, says that faith without works is dead. Uh, James chapter two, verse 22 would say that faith is completed by works. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that we work for our salvation or for God's grace or for his approval. It simply means that faith involves two parts. One is believing, two is doing according to what you believe. Faith results in action. And action is the most valuable when it doesn't make sense to us and we're hanging on the words of Jesus Christ and acting in accordance to his will even when life is messy. And you know why messes form our faith? You know why it's precisely, we could practice faith in a lot of different environments, but it's in these moments when things aren't working out when life is unexpected, when the roof of your expectations cave in on you, when things get messy, that faith is most valuable. Why? Because faith is formed in the kiln of adversity, not in seasons of ease. That's where the deepest maturity of a person's faith happens, is in the valleys, not at the peaks. And I'm getting this from verse six, where it says, he believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. He believes in the word of the Lord, but we also see that it's credited to his account as righteousness. We'll see later that Abram isn't just believing the word of the Lord, he's actually putting some skin in the game. When God asks him later to give up his only son, the, the promise, he does it. He doesn't just believe with his mind, he actually believes with his actions. Faith comes from hearing, but faith is kept by doing. This is why messy seasons can sometimes be a hidden blessing in disguise. They are the moments when God forms our trust in him more than any other times because we have nothing left to fall back on, nothing left to turn to except God's faithfulness his mercy, his love, his grace. Now, a couple of quick points. Uh, I just want to make sure we all see this, that faith doesn't mean that we don't have any questions, that we're 
We're just going on blind faith that we can't struggle. We can't ask hard questions. I mean, even Abram does. Verse eight, he said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? The land, the child. And God said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon, and a partridge in a pear tree. Just kidding, not that last one. But uh, he, he brings these animals, cuts them in half, lays them half over against the other, almost like a, an alleyway with pieces on either side. Doesn't cut the birds in half. Verse 11, the birds of prey came down, tried to eat everything. Abram drives them away, and the sun started to go, uh, started to go down, and a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Now, we'll talk about the sacrifice in a little bit. What I want you to see here is that faith doesn't mean you can't ask questions that are hard. It doesn't even mean that you can't wrestle with doubt. Faith also, this is the second thing I want you to, to see, is faith doesn't mean that there are not going to be any messes in life. I grew up in a tradition that said if you have faith in God, You'll be prosperous, wealthy, and healed all the time. You'll never suffer. Uh, but we see in the life of Abram, of Job, of Esther, of Mary Magdalene, and a list of many others, that faith doesn't mean that you're not going to run into some walls in life. In fact, it's precisely those walls that God might use to strengthen your faith. And we see this in verse 13. The Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on those nations they serve and afterwards you will come out with great possessions. So great promise. I'm gonna judge your enemies. I'm gonna bring you into the land. But notice the first part of this promise. The first part of this promise that God gives Abram is, yeah, you're gonna have some kids and they're all gonna be slaves for 400 years. How many of you, uh, uh, how many of you at church right now can attest to this? You've gotten some promises from God and they, they have not been the promises that you have expected him to make you. How many of you have gone to God with your list of prayers and you're like, all right, God, I got five things I want you to do for me. And he's like, I'm doing none of those. I'm going to do this instead. And you're like, no, I mean, I can't imagine what Abram felt in this moment. Like, okay, God's gonna clarify his promise to me about being a father of many nations. And, and God's like, yeah, your offspring, they're gonna, be, uh, they're gonna be slaves for centuries. But after that, I'm gonna break them through and it's gonna be a powerful story of deliverance. Faith doesn't mean that there's gonna be a lack of messes. Sometimes to for God's promise to materialize, we have to go through some walls in life. What faith does mean, it doesn't mean you can't ask questions. It doesn't mean that you're not gonna encounter messes. What faith does mean is that you're pressing into God with those questions and in the messes. It simply means that as you're going with the doubts, with the questions, in the mess, you're clinging to the grace and faithfulness of God. And as we do this, our faith starts to mature. As we begin to see little glimpses of God doing what he said over time, our faith gets some teeth to it. It builds grit. 
And here's why we need a formed and mature faith is because God makes promises and perhaps he's made some promises to you individually, but also to your church. But if we look at some of the promises in the Bible, if we look at our experience, if we look at Abram, we'd have to say, sometimes God's promises have detours that look like disappointments. Sometimes God's promises involve detours that look like disappointments. Yeah, Abram, I'm gonna give you a lot of children and they're gonna be taken into slavery by a foreign power. But after that, I'm gonna deliver them by my mighty right hand. Detour, a detour that looks like disappointments. But when we keep our eyes on the promises and presence of God, those detours can become trajectories. Our disappointments can become delights. And even the messes can become spaces for God to foster growth inside us. It's often in the valleys that God shapes us in the most transformative ways, not the peaks. And if it were up to us, we'd probably avoid, I would avoid all of the valleys and choose only the peaks in life. But looking back in retrospect, I'd have to say that I'd be ripping myself off too because God knows exactly what I need. And sometimes Chris Lazo needs some valleys. In 2014, this is one of the big valleys in my life. Uh, I was a college minister and a worship leader uh, at the church in Carpinteria, Reality Carpinteria, doing my thing. It was nice, it was chill, it was laid back and easy. And through a series of unfortunate circumstances, I wound up almost overnight uh, overseeing all three churches in the coastlands back when they were kind of tethered together as, as campuses. Santa Barbara Carpinteria Ventura took it over for a year. And when I took over that church, uh, it shrunk in half almost overnight. And then it would shrink in half sub- uh, 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 subsequently after that over and over until it went from thousands to about 200. I was too young to take over anything of that size. I, I, my maturity wasn't formed. And so it, it, I, I took a huge hit with that. This was at the same time that uh, my, my second kid, Jude, was born. It was difficult. Things were hard at work. Things were hard in life. Things were hard at home. I didn't know how to handle such huge responsibility. And in the midst of all of that, my relationships were crumbling. I lost some of my best friends. And I experienced tremendous betrayal. And while a lot of people I know have gone through way more than that, uh, way more difficult seasons in their life than that, for me, at that point in my life, that was all I could take, and I crumbled. I found myself stepping into the pulpit and preaching about God's transformative love and how it can change people. And I would go home wondering, why am I not changing? Why am I bitter? Why am I angry? Why am I afraid? This is not how I saw things going. This is messy. Eventually, I started going to a therapist who after six weeks of seeing me said, Chris, you are clinically depressed and on the verge of burnout. I thought, oh, great. That's a great combo for a senior pastor to have. And yet I would still have to preach every week 
about the transforming love of God. And I would watch other people get, tra- uh, get changed and my heart remained untouched. Finally, one day, my wife, Brianna, came up to me. Life was hard in this season. And she came up to me and with tears coming down her eyes, said to me, you know, because I was, so, I w- I was such a shell of my former self, unpresent at home in my life and my family. And she said, you're not the man that I married so many years ago. And with tears streaming down her face, she said, I want my husband back. And it was at that point that I fell to my knees, just weeping, asking myself, how did I get to this place? I'm a professional pastor. I get paid to see other people get transformed, but I I can't experience it for myself. And it's from that bottom. It's from that valley. It's from that lowest point in my life that God began to put back Chris Lazo together. That would lead to some of the most transformative work in my life. And the funny thing is, that was in 2014, that was about eight, six years ago. I look back on that and I never would have chosen that for myself. I never would have chosen, okay, betrayal, abandonment, uh, too much, uh, too much responsibility, depression, burnout, and, and broken relationships and family and home life. I never would have chosen that. Like, that'll be a great idea. And I think that's precisely the point. Abram probably wouldn't have chosen that either. You probably wouldn't have chosen some of the things that you're going through right now. I wouldn't have chosen that. But looking back on it, I see that God used it to transform my life. And that's the point, is that God, to put it in the words of a friend, Al Abdullah, uh, God is always present and he's always working. But not just in those peak moments, not just in the good stuff. He's also working and he's also present in the bad stuff. He's working in the unexpected. He's present in the disappointment. He's faithful in the mess. And this is my last point. God is faithful in the mess. Life is messy. The mess is often where our faith is formed and tested, but God is faithful in the mess. This is the last passage I want you to see, uh, read with me. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Now, most scholars believe that even though no one's seen the face of God and lived, that he'll sometimes appear in these strange ways. It's called a theophany, a physical appearance. So the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch, that's a symbol of God's tangible presence. So God is passing between these animal pieces, the sacrifice. It says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. A couple things. This is a powerful passage right here. What we're seeing is a common form of uh, covenant sacrifice. This was a common form of sacrifice, a covenant sacrifice between people in the ancient Near East. A lot of people did this, especially kings. And it went something like this. You would, you would cut up an animal. It was super gruesome, a lot of blood. But you would separate the pieces and you would walk with that covenant partner between the pieces holding hands or, or, or arms, locked arms. And you were in a sense promising an oath, a covenant with that person that you would be faithful to your side of the promise. 
And if you failed to live up to your side of the covenant or the promise, you were saying, in effect, you were cursing yourself. You were saying, may I become like these pieces if I fail you? It was one of the strongest forms of oath and promises you could take. You were cursing yourself. You were saying, may I become like these pieces? May I become dead if I fail in my responsibility? Now, here's what I want you to see. And here's what this whole sermon is about. Is that, remember that passage we read a while ago where God causes Abram to fall asleep and a darkness covers him. What we're seeing now is that as Abram is sleeping and the sun goes down, God's presence passes through the pieces by himself. By himself. Do you see what's happening here? God is not just in the mess, but he's faithful in the mess. Even when we are not, God is actually saying to Abram in no uncertain terms, may I become like these pieces if I fail you, Abram. I know you don't see the promise materializing yet. I know you're bummed. I know you have questions, but I am giving you a promise and I aim to keep it. And may I become like these pieces dead if I ever fail fail you. But that's not all he's saying. Because he caused uh, 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 Abraham to fall asleep and he walks through the pieces by himself. You know what else he's saying? He's not just saying, if I fail, may I become like these pieces. He's saying, if you fail, I'm taking on the curse for you as well. If you fail, may I become like these pieces dead. Now God has never failed a promise in all the history of the world. But Abraham has, Peter has, I have, you have, and this promise still stands. God says, even if humanity fails, may I take on the curse for humanity. And 2,000 years later, he would keep his promise to this by, after Many failures from human history. He would send his son to the cross to die and take the weight of our sin, but to rise from the dead and to bring us with him. God has been faithful to his promise. He will not give up on you yet. God is faithful even when we are not. This is what faithfulness looks like, reality. This is what faithfulness looks like. Faithfulness is when God does for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Faithfulness is when God gives to you what you did not deserve to have. Faithfulness is when God shows up for you when you missed your appointment with him. Faithfulness is when God delivers you from the bondage you got yourself in. Faithfulness is when God never gives up even when everybody around you has given up on you. Faithfulness is when God breaks down the walls you've been erecting in your own life. Faithfulness is when God is still waiting on you, even though you've run out on him. Faithfulness is God overlooking your mistakes. It's moving your mountains, and it's hearing your prayers. Faithfulness is God's love for the unlovable. It's God's peace for the anxious. It's God's joy in the morning. It's his healing for the broken. It's God's care for the wounded. It's his blessing in your failures. It's just justice rolling down like a stream. It's God sending a second wind when you're weary. It's God sending you an ohana when you're lonely. It's him singing over you songs of deliverance. It's God sending his son to die for your sins and raise 
raise you to new life even when you've done everything else wrong. It is the faithfulness of God that's got you. It's the faithfulness of God that's keeping you. And it's the faithfulness of God that's going to get you through 2020. Can I get an amen from somebody? I never finished my story about the Brooklyn Tabernacle as I close. As I was walking down those steps, dejected and embarrassed, I didn't even want to make eye contact with anyone, so I, I hung my head low. And I was planning on just telling my wife, like, let's get out of here. Let's skip the sermon, go to another church. I can't sing. I can't dance. Let's go to Tim Keller's Presbyterian Church. All they do is stand up and sit down. I can, I can do that. But before I got down the steps, a big hand stopped me, like right in my chest. Like, oh, I was like, oh, no, they called security. <laughs> They're going to kick me out. And I look up and it's Pastor Jim Cimbala. And he looks at me before I could apologize or run away. And he says, thanks for singing with us, man. Man, I'm so glad you're here. I was like, what? I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for singing with us. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what it was about that that shifted my psyche walking down those stairs, but I think it was the fact that even though I didn't deserve it and that even though I failed, the guy in charge still wanted me to be there and was glad that I was there. I say that because I think God has a word for some of you that are feeling like you're at the end of your rope today. Maybe you're ashamed. Maybe you're overwhelmed with guilt. Maybe you're just tired and fatigued. Maybe you're disillusioned. And I just sense that God wants to say to some of you today, I see you. And I'm so glad you're here. Reality, Honolulu, I wish I could see you. But this is what I do know. God does see you. And he loves you. And he is faithful to his promise And he is faithful to you, even in the mess. I want to give you three very quick ways to remember his faithfulness today. One is you should, you can adopt a visual like Abraham to rekindle and recalibrate your faith. Remember back in that text, God said, I'm going to give you a lot of kids, but then he took them outside and showed them the stars. Sometimes we just need a visual to remind us of God's promise. Now, for you, that might mean journaling your gratitude, writing things God has done. Maybe it means sharing uh, stories of God's faithfulness together over a big old plate of lumpia. Maybe it means taking communion and just contemplating what God has done. Maybe it's singing together in worship and responding through words other people have written. You've been together for three years as a church and God has done some incredible things in your life. Sometimes we have to remember that so we could adopt a visual like like Abe. The second thing is some of you need to stop and rest. I love that before God makes a promise to Abraham, he causes a deep sleep to fall on him. After all the turmoil going on in Abram's mind about what he didn't have and what he needed to do, God just is like, hey, zaps him. He's like, take a nap. Perhaps some of you need to do the same thing. 
I wonder how often we're burnt out and tired and cranky and it's God actually speaking through our emotions to get our attention to say, you need to slow down. I got this. I'm faithful to you. I'm faithful to my promise and I'm faithful to you. Sometimes faith means actively obeying and stepping out and doing something crazy. Other times faith means trusting God enough to know your limits and to just stop. Lastly, I want to invite you to be open to God's work. Don't discount your depression. Don't give up on your loneliness. Don't grow calloused in the relational brokenness that you might be going through because God is always working and always present and he will be faithful to his purpose in your life.